city, oh city Beaten by storms Is there no one to comfort you? The city, oh city Beaten by storms Listen closely to your God I will build your walls with the gates of sparkling jewels Righteousness will be your strength Let's just pray. Father God, we thank you for your precious word this morning. We pray, Lord, that your word will change us. The reason we gather is to hear your voice and to be changed from one degree of glory to the next. We know that your word, under the power of the Holy Spirit, received into our hearts, can make that change, that supernatural change, which only you can do. So we yield to you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you here to be our teacher and to inspire the words that I speak. May no force of darkness be able to resist these words and may these words reach every person for whom they were intended that your kingdom might go forward and your word might achieve that for which it was sent in the wonderful name of Yeshua. Amen. Praise God. Let's turn in our Bible to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 24 to 26. John, chapter 12, verse 24 to 26. Okay, you might say this is a very strange scripture to read if you think about what we're going to be talking about. Most assuredly, I say to you, that's verse 24, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain, much fruit. Do you see that? If it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Amen. Praise God. Now, the title of this message is Our Vision, right? Our Vision as a church. Start the year. And can I just say that, you see, it's important to enumerate or explain the vision over and over again. Why? So that everybody knows. Amen? Everybody knows. Everybody in the church needs to know what we are doing, what we are about, and then they must decide whether they want to be part of it or not. You understand? But you can't decide if you don't know what it's about. And it would be terrible if you belong to the church for some time and eventually you find out, oh, this is what it's about. No, I don't want that. 
You understand? So it's important to know, and that's what I want to spend a bit of time doing this morning, laying an established foundation of what this church, this particular part of the body of Christ is about. Now, it's quite a story, and the way I want to go about it is this. B, why don't you just share this vision that you had recently, the walls? Okay, it's quite important. We were praising God here, and we opened up to the Holy Spirit, which I encourage everyone here to do, and this is a word that God gave to Janet. Okay, just listen to what the words were. The Lord showed me the picture, a vision of the walls of Jerusalem, very much similar to the walls that would have taken place when the walls were destroyed in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. And in the vision, the walls had been broken down, they'd been destroyed by fire. Black, eh? Blackened, yeah, black, no. absolutely destroyed. But then I saw people coming and building, building the wall up. And each brick was laid, one brick at a time, and cemented together. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, the cement is the cement of love. And then the wall was built. And finally, eventually, I saw in the spiritual realm a beautiful wall, a completed wall, and a shining, magnificent, beautiful wall. And as I mentioned to Graham this morning, I said to him that that verse was from the book of Nehemiah, and it spoke about a remnant, that there is a remnant that God is going to use very powerfully. And that remnant, a remnant is something that is left over, the survivors. And the remnant is what God is going to use, and he's going to use it very powerfully. Amen. Praise God. All right, now I'm just going to tie a few things up. About, I stand corrected, but I think it's about a year and a half ago. Having a service, so not many people. And Barry's late wife, Adeline, was sitting in a chair just over there. And I was playing the piano, and afterwards she had a very, she described a very clear vision that she had. Now just bear in mind the time frame. About a year and a half ago. The vision was of a candle. There was a candle here, I think we were also yeah. under ESCOM's yeah. blessing. But, but it wasn't that candle. She saw a candle in the spirit. She saw very clearly. She said it was a very clear vision. And then the wind came and tried to blow this candle out. I think it actually did blow it out, but it came alive again. Okay? And this happened, I think, two times or three times. I'm not sure. But that was the vision. Very clear vision. At the time, I thought, well, that speaking of what the devils tried to do to the church. And I'd had an experience about six months before that we had, I call it a pseudo heart attack. It wasn't a real heart attack. It was a pseudo heart attack. It was like the symptoms were there, but we just breezed through that and was a bit off color for a day or two, but I was fine. And so I thought maybe that was what the vision was talking about. I shared a message about strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. Obviously, I mean, if God wants to destroy this church, what's he got to do? Get rid of me, you see, and Janet, for that matter. So, I mean, that's just common sense. But he failed miserably there, and I thought that that vision was referring to that because that had already happened. Little did I know that the enemy had designs not only on me but on the church and people in the church. We all went through COVID after that, and that was quite hectic for some of us here. And then, remember, last year, last year in March, I was afflicted by this terrible thing that happened to me, and I ended up in hospital. I think I'm only realizing now 
how serious it actually was. Because, I mean, at the time, no sense, no feeling sort of thing. But anyway, that was a deliberate attempt on my life. There's no doubt in my mind about it. But I'm still here, am I not? And I'm as healthy as can be, praise be to God. As I say, happy as a pig in Portugal. They should be happy as a pig in Israel because they don't eat pork there. So there we go. Amen. But anyway, also, looking back, I realized that this whole COVID thing affected our church quite badly. It was quite an attack on us. We lost people because of COVID. Not that they died, but the fact that we couldn't have our normal services, people got out of fellowship and wara wara things happened. All right. So in a sense, this church has suffered almost like a crucifixion. That's what I wanted to say. And that scripture there is, unless a seed dies, all right, it cannot produce fruit, cannot produce life. Now, this is the mystery of God. It struck me, though, that, you see, a seed, when it dies, it doesn't, in a sense, cease to exist. A seed has in it a whole lot of, I don't know what the chemicals are, enzymes, etc. You understand? It's got stuff in it that can only be released when it is dead. If it doesn't die, those enzymes cannot, whatever they call, cannot be released and it cannot produce new life. Right, that's a pattern. And Christ was talking about himself. He had to go to the cross, die, so that new life could come. But bear in mind something. That seed didn't just end. He had planted in the earth, in a sense, the enzymes of his life, the DNA of the church, by his teachings and everything that he'd done and said. Do you understand? So that was there. When he resurrected, he didn't have to start from scratch again. Do you understand? He had a framework which God could bless. Now, it strikes me that after all these years, 18, 19 years plus that we've been going, all these years, what have we been doing? Sowing seed. Sowing the word. Faithfully, can I say, week in, week out, we have presented the word of God. And we've tried to live it as well, by the way. Be there many, be there few, the word has gone out. Over this Christmas period, I went back into the archives, as it were, of all the old messages and listening to them, listening to them, I realized that the message hasn't really changed. Amen? We've remained consistent with what we believe. It's not a case of a new doctrine comes our way and we go waft off over there and waft. No, no. We've added on to it, you understand. So that's been going out. Now, I realize that in a sense, we've almost gone through a crucifixion as a church, but there's a new season now. There's a resurrection, all right? And you see, this church has been in the crosshairs of the devil for many years. He's done just about everything he can to stop us. Now, you might say, well, Graham, no, don't you have an inflated opinion of the church? Well, not really. And I'm going to explain why, because you see, in explaining why, what I'm going to be doing is explaining what we actually stand for here. All right? Why we are doing what we do. Because let me tell you, it's not a party, and we don't do it because it's light-hearted entertainment. You understand? We love it, but it's not easy. All right? We've sacrificed our lives for it. But you see, there's a reason for that. It's not just because we're dim-witted, don't know what's going on, and in a sense, are foolish. Not at all. You see, 
And the question that I want us to answer is, why is it that the enemy takes so much trouble to destroy this church? I even saw the demon that is responsible. Did you know that? When I was in hospital. So if you can call him the field commander that had orchestrated the whole thing against me. It was an orchestrated attempt. It wasn't just one night I woke up and wasn't well. It was over a period of time, three years actually. And I was in the hospital there, in the private ward, and I saw clearly this apparition. Right? I realized that this was the commanding officer, as it were, entrusted by the devil to destroy us. All right? He looked like a character from Alice Through the Looking Glass, a Mad Hatter's teapot. He dressed something like that. Old-fashioned, but like a dandy, if I can call it that. But his face, I'll never forget this, was Wolverine. Wolverine. Ugly. Wolverine. He was like a wolf who was there. And the thing I noticed most of all was his eyes. Those eyes were dark, black, and dead. 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 Horrific. And the expression on his face standing there in this ward. Now, please, I didn't. It wasn't open vision. I could see it in my spirit so clearly. That's why I can describe it. But the look on his face was one of intense anger. Do you know why he was angry? He'd come to see the mess that his people had made of this job. Hadn't worked. He could see he was unhappy because he had failed. Amen? He was unhappy because of the prayers of the saints. He'd failed. But now why is it that the enemy go to such lengths? I mean, it's horrific how he works in people's lives, trying to distract them, trying to get them off path, cause trouble, whatever. Why would the enemy take so much trouble over this little church, which a handful of people gather every Sunday, so to speak? I mean, really, why would he bother? And you see, we have to understand why he bothers. And I want to try and explain it to us, exactly why we do what we do. You see, over the years, we've been involved with church, big, small, you name it, we've been in it, somehow, somewhere. We've seen a lot of church and a lot of stuff happening in the kingdom of heaven. And over the years, we've realized, we've tumbled to the fact that the enemy has orchestrated a wide range of deceptions that he's infiltrated the church with. Amen? Infiltrated the church to dumb the church down, to make it ineffective. He tried in the past to confront the church, and he's still trying to do that in parts of the world. Open persecution. But every time he's done that, it's failed. Because they've been said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It builds, just produces. So that doesn't work. He's tried to destroy the Bible. He's tried to do a whole lot of confrontational things, but he's learned something. More effective than that is to insidiously permeate. And what he's done is he's permeated the body of Christ, I'm talking generally now, with certain misconceptions, misunderstandings, lies. The Lord referred to it as the leaven of the Pharisees. Remember he said to his disciples, he just muttered, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They thought he was talking about the fact that they hadn't brought bread. What he was talking about is that the religious system, listen very carefully, had become responsible for infiltrating God's work on the earth with, with lies. You see, you have to have leaven in bread to make it rise. The symbolism is just a little bit affects the big loaf. You understand? So what's happened is slowly but surely little lies have been planted here over centuries. Planted here, planted there. 
in an effort to do what? Reduce the church of God to a pathetic collection of weak individuals. Now, obviously, there are great exceptions to that. There are great exceptions. But generally speaking, generally speaking, the devil has emasculated the church because of these lies. And you see, the problem with us here is that we are aware of them. You see, we've tumbled to these lies. We've tumbled to them and we refuse to bow down to them. Can you all say amen? amen. We will not compromise the word of God under any circumstances. If it means chasing the whole nation away from the church, so be it. So be it. You understand? We will not compromise the word of God. Let me just hasten to add, do I think that we know all the truth? No, we don't. Amen. That's a sure far way to get to destruction when you think we know it all. We do not. Are you hearing me? But we do know some things. And we stand for those things without any apology. All right? So you see, it's important for people in the church to understand this. And know why we teach what we teach. Can you all say amen? amen. You see, because you have to choose. Are you going to be in or are you going to be out? One of the two. You can't be on the fence here, by the way. It's very difficult. It gets uncomfortable. But you see, I want to explain some of these truths. I can't go through all of them. You see, that's the problem with what we're trying to do here. It's not just like one revelation that we focus on and that's it, be it praise and worship or whatever. It's a whole range of revelations over the years that we've tumbled on the fact that the devil has slowly but surely, you know, like a creeper, just crept in there. And made people think a certain way. So when you confront them and think, oh, that can't be God. Amen. The very first one is faith. As you know, we preach faith. Faith, 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 faith. And you might say, why does he continue to preach faith? Well, as you all should know by now, faith is critically important. Amen. If we do not have a correct understanding of faith, and we're not applying it in our lives, we are mincemeat for the devil. Can I say it any clearer than that? It's become so apparent to us. Janet and I were at an institution, organization. We were in the library there talking to one of the leaders. And in the library, there was a book by Kenneth Hagen. Kenneth Hagen, for information, is the father of modern day faith in a great way. He rescued the church from sick unbelief. Okay, controversial in his time, but he did that. Powerful man of God. He's since gone to glory. He wasn't supposed to live from the day he was born. His mother was given by the doctor a little sample packet of food and she asked him, what must I feed him? She says, feed him this. And she said, when that's finished, what must I do? The doctor said to her, you won't have to ask for any more. That's a fact. You won't have to ask for any more. He's going to die. Death penalty spoken over him by the medical profession. But he survived. Miraculously survived. It's a long story. He gripped onto the Bible, the Word of God, and that got him through and it taught him great lessons of faith which he taught to the whole world. And this man who was not supposed to live, who had two diseases that were fatal, according to medical science, two diseases. He almost died on a few occasions. He went down to hell but got saved because his grandmother was praying. It's quite a story. He got saved and one thing led to another. But he traveled the world teaching about faith and established a great organization on this basis of faith. All right, anyway, so there's his book. He lived until 87. 84. Somewhere around that. 
I mean, if you're going to die before you got over one year, and you lived, that's a miracle, is it not? Is it 85, 89, doesn't matter. He lived a full, healthy life, is what I'm trying to say. And he learned these principles. Anyway, there's this book. And um, I said, I'm glad to see you've got one of these books, because I regard Kenneth Hagen as my spiritual father, in a way, although I never met him. And she said, oh, well, she looked at the book, almost like disdainfully, I can call it that. And she said, oh, we've moved on from Kenneth Hagen. We've moved on. And I thought about it, you know, that sounds a bit odd. Now, please, we do move on. You understand we build on to what we know. Does everybody understand that? You have a revelation, and I mean the revelation that I've received, I've built onto it. Are you hearing me? But you don't cast it off. Are you hearing me, church? You don't cast it off. And let me tell you what's happened. Although she said they've moved on, what I realized, and by looking at how that operation works, is very good in many respects when it comes to faith, completely and totally ignorant. You see? So they've moved on. In a sense, what they've done is covered it up and forgotten about it. Amen? And can I tell you something? The devil's job is to make sure the church covers up faith, dumbs it down, and forgets about it. Why? That's the power of the church. Amen? That's the power of the church. If the church does not have power, it is useless. It's a big money-wasting organization. All right? It might do good, but it is not taking the devil on. We fight the fight of faith. This is the victory that we have over the world, even our faith. I cannot say it loud enough. And let me tell you, faith is not easy to teach. Can I tell you why? It's very nice to hear. Amen? Sweet to the taste, but bitter to the stomach when it comes time to put it into practice. And you see, to teach faith, why do we teach it so many, many times? Well, you see, the truth of the matter is you and I will not understand it unless our minds are renewed. Amen? Our minds have got to be renewed. In other words, when you come to church, you have to be challenged. We have to be challenged with our thinking. Is it according to the word or is it not? Are you hearing me? We dedicated to that. We dedicated to that. And it's chased people away. Amen? Did I go running after them? Oh, please come and join us again. No. Why? I'm wasting my time. You see? Does that mean that our word is uncompromising and we're not going to change? I will change. I will change tomorrow. But what's got to happen? Somebody's got to show to me from this precious Bible that I'm wrong. Does everybody get that strength five in this church? If you want to change what I think, you're welcome to try. You're very welcome to try. But don't come and say, I feel that it's not right. Don't do that. Why? We don't go here according to feeling. Are you hearing me? Thank God I don't go according to feeling. I'd be dead by now. Amen? Amen. I'd be stone dead. But thank God for the word. I'm still alive. Amen? Still alive. Here I am in hospital. I had lumps on my legs, for heaven's sake. Big lump, big lump, and one on my bum. Could hardly walk, let alone go to the toilet without massive pain. I mean, that's terrible. You've got to go, but you don't want to put up with the pain. What do you do? What do you do? You hold it in. <laughs> I do have to go. But I had this pain. 
What did I do? What did I do? I applied the word of God. Amen? Because I know what the Bible says. Are you hearing me? The Bible says that the word of God is medicine. So these big lumps, I take my small blackberry here, which is ancient as you can see, but it's filled with the word of God, and I'd apply it to these big bumps. <laughs> Do you know anybody else on this planet, Bronwyn, who applies Ephesians to his right buttock with an ancient blackberry in the middle of the night? You don't know anybody else on the planet. Weird. But let me tell you something. Those bumps are gone. Amen? Gone. I don't even know exactly where they were. Did you know? In the words of the specialist physician, it's a mystery. Atheist, by the way. Atheist. Hardened atheist. Years of experience. Specialist physician. It's a mystery. What am I saying? The word works. But you see, we teach the word, and we will continue to teach the word. Are you hearing me, church? I'm putting out a message on Wednesday about avoiding calamity. Avoiding calamity. Do you know there's no reason why anybody should suffer a calamity in their lives? Did you know that? That's what the Bible says, Psalm 91. Okay? But you see, for Psalm 91 to operate, what have we got to do? There's a few conditions. With every promise of God, there are conditions. In this church, we teach the promises, but we also teach the conditions. Are you hearing me? And the devil hates it. Do you know why? He can't touch us. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? If we don't teach it, guess what? He doesn't even worry. Did you know that? Because he can take you out at any stage. I don't care how big your church is. I don't care how wonderful the worship, etc., etc. is. If the minister is not teaching the people faith and not attempting to renew their minds, confronting them with the truth on a regular basis, do you know what? He's setting them up for destruction. And we've seen it. We've seen it. Not in this church. Are you hearing me? Not in this church. If anybody suffers calamity in this church, it will not be my fault. Amen? It will not be my fault. It will either be because of laziness or rebellion, one of the two, but not because of ignorance. Can you see what we stand for here? And we will not move from that. Why? We want a strong church. Are you all hearing me? And that's why the devil hates us. He hates us. Because we've tumbled to the lie that is spread throughout the churches. This weak sort of idea that, oh, God will do what God will do. Amen? If it's God's will, it will happen. So you're dying of cancer. One man, his face has been eaten up by cancer. Can you believe it? It's horrific. And the wife says, well, if God wants to heal him, he will. He will. I mean, she's an established, seasoned Christian. What's the problem? Nobody had the guts to confront her with the truth. Amen? And confront her thinking. She's also responsible because she has got the Bible and she can find it out for herself. But let me tell you, the lies are so rampant that you and I read the Bible and we sort of think, oh, well, that can't be true. Well, for information, it is true. Am I right, Ruth? You're sitting here because of this truth. Am I right? 
the devil tried to take Ruth and Rufi out in the midst of COVID-2021. Is that right? Amen. They were in that hospital there, and Ruth, I mean, when I saw the man, looked like a corpse on wheels almost, and Rufi as well. Am I speaking the truth, Rufi, or am I speaking absolute hogwash? No, you're speaking the truth. You're still here. Because, you see, they both knew when somebody came and said, oh, well, maybe it's God. <laughs> Not God. Can you see? That's what we're up against in our society, ignorance. So that's one of the things. But it doesn't stop there, brothers and sisters. I wish it did, because that would make my life a lot easier. But it doesn't stop there. The other truth that the devil has subtly stolen from the church, whole understanding of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? The gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it ties up with how the church is supposed to work. We have such a clear revelation of how the church is supposed to work. Can I tell you something? I will not settle for anything less. Can you all say amen? amen? I'm not happy just to have everybody come and we have a wonderful time and nice preach and nice worship and all go home. No, it's not good enough. Why? Every single member has got to operate. Amen? Are you hearing me, church? If you're not operating... You're technically a dead stone. You see, it's hard preaching because, you see, people don't want to be used, I've discovered. They rather sit on their buttock and let the pastor do all the work for nothing. Much happier, you see. I can tell you, men, grown adults, are too scared to set foot in this church because of fear of having to speak. Can you believe it? Oh, my God. Spineless. Spineless. Sorry, I'm getting carried away here. We're famous here for putting people on the spot. People don't like to be put on the spot. They'd rather Spotify. <laughs> hear the message through the internet. We are not an internet church for your information, all right? But we use the internet. Does everybody get that? We use it, but we're not an internet church. Because you can't pray for one another personally. You understand? The church has got to operate as a church. A family where everybody is being used. Not abused, used. Hallelujah. Which means you have to get off your butt and do something. God never asks you and I to do something we can't do. But he often asks us to do something we don't want to do. Are you hearing me? But if you don't do it, you're not going to grow. We're not going to grow. We've got friends in a massive church, wonderful church. We met them for the first time after about 10 years. Really, good people, love God, they're faithful to God and good citizens, blah, blah, blah. But we noticed something spiritually, they hadn't grown that much in that 10 years. Not that much. Why? Because in the environment, they just sit and do nothing. You understand? That's challenging. That's challenging. And the devil has very subtly created an environment where everybody understands that you just come to church and make sure the worship is good and you know there's drums and a bass player and the pastor preaches a nice hot message and oh yes 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 go home dim the lights set the atmosphere please i'm not against worship and praise and massive evangelism is powerful and we need to get into that but what i'm saying is that's not church it's not the nitty-gritty getting to grips with actually moving with god learning how to hear the voice of God for yourself in the church. Amen? So please, this is what we're about. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. 
I'm not going to change. Why? Because that's what it says in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14. Read all about it. Read all about it. Don't argue with me. Argue with Paul the Apostle. Argue with him. You see, because we know. Let me just say this. We've been in big churches, and I'm not against big church. Please, do not get that impression. God is big, and he needs to be big. Is everybody with me on this? We're not going to point a finger and say, oh, big church over there, not doing it right. Dear God, no, because they point their finger and looking at us, oh, look at these people, they don't know what they do. I'm not into that. God works through different people, and some big churches get it right. I don't know how they do it. I admire them, but I don't know how they get it right. However, the DNA of this church is not going to be a massive auditorium. Everybody comes, written on their head is, bless me. And our Graham is expected, some clown is expected to get up there and dress well and entertain everybody spiritually. It's not it. Not where it's at. I'm sorry. Deception of the devil. Did you know that? Get into the mentality that that's church. You're setting yourself up for destruction. Sounds shocking, doesn't it? But it is true. Why? You and I, brothers and sisters, in the day that we live, have got to learn how to hear God for ourselves. Did you know that? Where do we learn that? From the Word, yes, but also in the presence of the Holy Spirit. In church, the body of Christ operating. Amen? When you put on the spot, okay, you've got to hear God now because you're going to prophesy. You don't like it at first, but eventually you get used to it and it becomes you. And guess what? You hear God there, you hear God in the marketplace, you hear God on the road, and you start to hear God for yourself. Life or death, exactly. You see? Why do people have calamity? Don't hear God. Go straight into a mess. Good Christian people snuffed out unnecessarily. And they are responsible, yes, but who's also responsible? Were they taught to hear God's voice? Were they encouraged to hear God's voice? Are you hearing me? You see, this church business is vital. And let me tell you, that's another revelation we have, is how God can use a small church with people that are operating like this to reproduce, as it were. The DNA is important. The DNA is critically important. I can't tell you how many big edifices there are out there. They were established by some great personality. And when he passed on, which everybody has to eventually, whether you like it or not, that great edifice became really a sterile waste of money. Did you know that? Terrible. Terrible. I actually had a vision of one of our churches in our city. No names mentioned. On the highway, a big banner for sale. For sale. I have a friend. I was having coffee with him. Man of God. He's been through big church. Blah, blah, blah. Was a pastor and all that. And he starts a church very much like ours. Discussion and things like that. And he said to me these very words. He said, if the people in my church, they come to me and say, we want to put money together and build a big building for you. You know what he said? Go, I'm not coming. Because he knows that thing can become a monster so easily. Does that mean every church is a monster? No, not at all. Some people get it right. And I'm not against big church. Everybody's got to do what they've got to do. There's more influence to be had if you're a large organization. And our thinking, please get this right, is not small here. We might look small, but it's not small. Right? But, let me say this. If we get big, the DNA will be the same. Everybody will be taken care of. Another part and parcel of our Bible church, as it were, is that everybody is supposed to be looked after. Amen? Amen. We try and organize a Bible study or whatever anybody needs for them personally. 
Are you hearing me? We don't just have Bible studies for the sake of having them, or home cells for the sake of having them. Amen? Everything is done with a purpose. Why? To help people at every level that they might be to grow. Amen? That's what we believe here. Some people, they always pray, oh God, we look for a nice family church, nice family church. Be careful what you pray. You might get it. Can I tell you why? They come into a nice family church, and guess what? They find it's not so nice anymore. Why? Because everybody starts to know about you. You understand? You can't hide a whole lot of stuff that you can hide so easily. Mass organ. You understand what I'm saying? We're not into that. We're not into that. We here. And please, we will help everybody, anybody, to the extent that they make themselves available to be helped. Does that make sense? The moment we get to the place where we can't help enough people because of our time, then we change. Change the structure. You understand? This is what it's about. People have to be taken care of. But okay, you understand? So that's what we're about here. And some people like it, but some people don't. Are we going to change? No. No. People need to be cared for. We all do. Amen? Part of our DNA. Part of our DNA. You see, if we're big, that's fine, but everybody will be cared for. Do you understand? Otherwise, you're not going to get big, rather not. Does that make sense to you? And God's given us, and that's another part of our vision, that, you see, there's a way to do it, because God's not into big or small. He's into big and small. Amen? But the big specifically is for outreach. Big vision for outreach. Amen. There's great scope for massive evangelism. And I've been involved with that, and it's very vital. However, can I just say something? It's pointless getting a whole lot of people saved. I mean, I've been there. Everybody was getting delivered and blah, 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 blah. But you know what? Your deliverance is only as good to you as you can keep it. Amen? Your healing as well. There's only any worth to you and I if we can maintain it. Amen? And if you have a whole lot of people who come and then they all disperse and you've got no facility to receive people in for personal attention, ongoing maintenance, you're wasting your time. Can I tell you that? Wasting your time by and large because those people will get into trouble and it's harder later on. I mean, medicine tells us this. It's all very well going through the operation. All right, and you can have the greatest surgeons operating on you. What's going to keep you alive? The nursing staff in the ward. Is that right? Is that right? My brother was studying medicine. He told us this horrific story, Baraguanus. Here this man comes into the hospital. He's had some terrible thing, and you have the best surgeons, fantastic surgeons there in the world, and they fix him up. I think they did an eight-hour operation on this man. At one stage, Baraguanus was a leading hospital for tropical medicine in the world. Let me tell you. It was in a class of its own. But there we are, having perfect surgery. They put him into the ward. Do you know what happened? The cleaning lady in the morning unplugs the life support because she wants to plug in the wife. What am I saying? You see, you go to a crusade, you get wonderfully healed, and you go home and you're on your own. Somebody unplugs the life support. The devil comes and puts a little symptom back on you. And then guess what? The next thing is, oh, well, it wasn't real. You know and before long, back she comes, and then somebody says, you need to go to a crusade to get healed. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, forget about it. Are you hearing me? So you see, if we have a big crusade, we'll make sure 
whether people attend or not, but there'll be a facility for them to be looked after. That's part of our church. And it doesn't happen overnight. This is what I'm trying to say. You can't build a church like that in one day, or a week, or a year. I hope you're grasping this. We just have a different view on these things. Because what's the devil's strategy? Get people swept up in the emotion of the moment, but no ongoing care. That's his strategy. And he's wrecked many lives. You and I know hundreds of people who will say to you, I was once a Christian. We've been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Amen. A few other things that I wanted to share that make us a bit different. We've got a revelation about the name Yeshua. Now please, can I just say this? When the angel Gabriel, whatever it was, the seraphim came to the shepherds, they did not say, his name is Jesus. I'll tell you why. Because Jay wasn't even in the language at the stage. Okay, you understand? He wasn't there. They wouldn't have said that. You see, they wouldn't have said that. It's in our Bible, I know, because it's been translated after many years. The name Jesus, for your information, has been around for 400 years, plus minus. If you think that Christ has been here for, well, he was in the world 2,000 years ago. That's about 25% of the time. Now, you see, the devil laughs. Can I tell you, the devil laughs when he sees men of God going ape about the name, the power of the name, the authority of the name. They're preaching the power of the name, the glory of the name, the importance of the name. The devil sits there and he's got a smug grin on his face. <laughs> sort of thing I would do. Because he knows they're using the wrong name. Might shock you. But that's the truth. Now, please, we're not apologetic about the name. But not yet. The devil can't laugh because we know the name and we use it. All right? We're not dogmatic. You're welcome to use the name Jesus. Everybody knows. Amen? You're welcome to use it. But please understand the name we prefer to use here is Yeshua. Because of a whole lot of reasons. I haven't got time to go into it, but there it is. Okay? That is the truth God's planted in us. A lot of people will not come here because of that name. Did you know that? They will not. Some people have been chased away because of the name. They say, oh, those people are funny. We are not into going back to our Jewish roots. We're not talking about that at all. A lot of people are into the Jewish roots, and they use the name Yeshua, but we're not going there. I mean, dear God, I came out of half Jewish background. I don't want to go there, let me tell you. Do you understand? But there's a very good reason why we use the name Yeshua. There's a very good reason, reasons for it. Okay, once again, we're open to correction, but please don't come and say, I don't feel right. Show me from the Bible. And we've researched this thing extensively, let me tell you. So please understand, we use the name Yeshua. We are totally unashamed. We're not ignorant. The devil can't laugh and say, oh, he's talking about the name. He <laughs> doesn't even know what the name is. You understand? So you see, I mean, it's unpopular. Everybody's been using the name Jesus their whole life. I was born again under the name Jesus. What you have faith in will work for you, let me tell you. But the more we have faith in lines up with the Word of God, the more powerful it is. Does that make sense? Okay, all right. I'm almost finished here. There's so many other things that we really believe in. The other thing is calling. We're very strong on that, Joe. Amen. We believe everybody's got a calling. Let me tell you, our teaching is quite radical in as far as understanding fivefold ministry is concerned. I've taught about fivefold ministry to a whole lot of ministers. And some of them said we can't accept this too much for us. But it's in the Word. We teach on fivefold ministry in this church in the sense that everybody's involved. Amen? Not just a handful that suddenly become pastors elevated onto a podium behind a pulpit. No! 
there is a whole teaching on its own, but we teach these things about fivefold ministry. You and I are all involved with the body of Christ in a specific way. And we have to find out what we're called to do. It's so critically, critically important. We spend a lot of time trying to encourage people, find out what God has called you to do. We don't tell people what we want them to do. We want people individually to find out what they are called to do. You see? And can I tell you, these all work together. Because you see, you won't find out what you're called to do if you're not in an environment where the Holy Spirit is free to tell you. Did you know that? Do you know that practically, the whole New Testament, practically, most of it, was written because of people gathering together like this and being available to the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? They were in Antioch there, a few of them, and they were worshipping God, praising God. Then through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit said, separate for me Paul and Barnabas, sent them off on apostolic ministry, as we all know. And Paul went on to write two-thirds of the New Testament. You see, his calling was found in the body of Christ operating with the Holy Spirit. That's what we believe. We believe that here, you and I are open to the Holy Spirit. God will start to speak to people and send people out. Amen. That's the way to go. Bless God. Other revelation we've had. I mean, I've had this for years. The creative church. Oh, my soul. It was, I think, back in 1982. Over 40 years ago, I had this revelation of the creative church. How every single gifting in everybody is supposed to be operating together in the church service. Do you know that? How it actually works from a spiritual point of view. I've had creative church seminars and they were greatly successful. I wrote a book, hallelujah. And I'll never forget, I went to the publishers to pick up this box full of my books. And I'm driving in the car and I think, the world has been saved. This great revelation, all I've got to do is give it to the churches. And you know what? Before long, we'll all be operating with the creative church. Ah, how wrong can you be? How wrong can you be? I'll never forget one past. I gave him the book. And um, I bumped into him. Heard nothing from him. Nothing, nothing. Nobody said nothing. I bumped into him in the bank. You see, he's in the queue. And there he is. And I said to him, oh. Uh, and I was just fishing for compliments. He said, uh, what about the book, you see? And I could see exactly what happened. He hadn't even bothered to open the first page. And, uh, you know, he said, Pukfein, Pukfein, wonderful, wonderbar. You know, he said, and I thought, you liar. But what I'm saying is, this great revelation, right, that I'd had, never got off the ground. And I found out why. You know why? Before this revelation can actually be grasped by the church, there's a whole lot of fundamental phases that they have to go through. Creative church won't mean anything if you don't understand faith. Amen? The creative church will not mean anything if you do not understand the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The creative church will not mean anything unless you understand fivefold ministry. Are you getting it? You see, so what God was doing with me is I put that out thinking it would work, and then I had to come to the realization, no, Grant, you've got to go back to basics. You understand? So we started a church. We realized nobody else is going to pick up the vision around it. We have to do it ourselves. Start the church and fundamental issues, build them into the church so the great day can come when we can say, right, let's do the creative church and we'll just take off. Amen. So please, folks, I'm just trying to share these things with us because, you see, you have to know what we're about. 
We will teach faith in this church. We will continue to challenge everybody with our thinking. Amen? Challenge with our thinking. I can tell you right now, you don't just hear the faith message and believe it in immediately. Our minds have got to be renewed. You cannot accept it. That's why I'm doing a Bible study. We're reading the Bible. And the whole thing was this boy that had this epileptic fit. And the Lord came in this story, in the Gospels, and he explained to them, have you got faith? Have you got faith? Have you got faith? And the question I asked is, well, why did the Lord bother to do that? Do you think he would have healed the child if they didn't have faith? And this young guy who hasn't been part of this ministry said, no, I believe he would have, you see. Vaguely, his heart would have been full of love and he would have. Can you understand? The mind has not been renewed. That mind has not been renewed. Do you know how difficult it is to renew a mind that's set that way? Very, very hard. Are you hearing me? Very hard. But you and I cannot afford not to. We have to think how God thinks. You see? And that's what we hear about. We're here to open up to the Holy Spirit. I look forward to the day. We've had one or two occasions where I sit back and do nothing. Although I don't do nothing. But the Holy Spirit actually takes over. Amen? Does what he has to do. Are you hearing me? We want that. I'm not going to give up until we've got that. Amen? Till everybody operates out of just this is the way it is. Not because of, oh, we now have to do it because we've you know, pushed into it. No, it's just normal. Are you hearing me? We come together and it's just normal for people to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you're in a situation and there's no gifts, you wonder, what's wrong? Are you hearing me? How easy is it to get there? I know some pastor, one pastor said, I won't let anybody prophesy in the church because they might say something wrong. In his dear church, he thinks will collapse if somebody says something wrong. Guess what? I couldn't give a hoot. Please let it collapse and I can go on holiday. <laughs> now, what am I saying? I'm not afraid. Amen? Church is supposed to be the place where people make mistakes. But God isn't that small that if somebody makes a mistake, it's the end of the story. There's a church I know about. They said, we will not allow prophecy in our church because people have received prophecies and it's wrecked their lives. They've gone out and done it. Well, you know, the truth of the matter is they are now cutting out a portion of the Bible because of experience. Amen? We won't cut out Bible because of experience here. Did you know that? We've had faith failures, let me tell you. But we don't change the Bible. We try and up our faith. And he said, this pastor said, look, because of that, we won't have prophecy in the church. The answer to that is, teach the people properly, and then you can have prophecy in the church according to the word. Are you hearing me? If the people are trained to know that, look, when a prophecy comes, it's not necessarily God. Amen? We have to discern. You see, but we teach these things. We try to be balanced here with everything. Are you hearing me? The other thing I just wanted to say is, in closing, we've got so many things that we want to teach. It's so difficult to keep, you know, and these things you can't just teach once. I've learned that. You've got to continually. And the problem is like we have one stab at it every week, one hour here, and then everybody goes home, and then there's the internet, the television, the news, the, all this other information that they're bombarded with. Can you see? It's a real difficult struggle if you really want to do it properly. The alternative is just to 
throw open an entertainment session. Now, as I said, we're not an internet church, but we use the internet. So I've decided now, because faith is so important, every week I'm going to put out a faith message, one from the past or whatever. You understand? And I'm encouraging everybody, please listen. Just listen, just listen to build our collective faith. Are you hearing me? Build our collective faith. If we do that, then I don't have to teach on faith every Sunday. There's so many other things we can spend time doing. Does that make sense? All right, so we're going to do that. A Bible studies opportunity, talk about things, ask questions, get the other things together. As it were, fill in the gaps. Preaching is for whatever we are focusing on at a particular time, time to operate as the church is supposed to. We have to get it right here. Can I just tell you something? We were in a church that operated in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but you know what? They never taught faith. Because of that, the Holy Spirit was there, but the gifts weren't as powerful as they could have been. Can you see? Everything ties together. You can't have one at the expense of the other. You cannot. You cannot. So you see, that's the challenge. I mean, it's almost a daunting task to try and find people that are available to be changed in their thinking, to change their lifestyle, to change everything that they do practically for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And so we just keep going, we just keep going. All I ask, all we ask from everybody, we don't care how much you know, don't know, it's totally irrelevant, you couldn't care least of all what education you may or may not have, it's all irrelevant. We don't care what structure of society you come from, white, black, Pink, green, it's totally irrelevant. All we're asking is for three things. Faithful. Be faithful, available, and teachable. Amen? Faithful, available, teachable. And if we have a group of people like that, there's nothing that God cannot do. Amen? Amen. Praise God. City, oh city. 
Listen close 